Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Early Childhood, the podcast where we delve deep into the world of early learning services and everything that shapes our crucial early years. I'm your host, Lisa Brown, and today we have a very special episode in store for you. So if you follow us on Facebook, we have a group. It's called Everything Early Childhood. If you don't, pop on there and give us a follow. Um, We did a little bit of a poll to find out from everyone what they would like us to focus on for our next episode and it was, we had a few options on there. I was sort of hoping it would be um, engaging learning environments but that's okay, we'll do that in another episode but in fact it was top 10 tips for early learning services. So we're excited to explore a treasure trove of insights, strategies and practical advice because that's what we're all about, practical tips, practical knowledge knowledge and things that you can put into place straight away to transform your early learning service and also your early learning practice. So um, as someone who's been in early childhood all the way from the beginning as a trainee and worked my way up and now working with some beautiful, beautiful humans, I know what it's like at every single step of the way. So in front of me, I have a list, so many different tips. Um, I am the absolute worst at narrowing it down, but I have, I thought, gosh, I could not just keep putting things out there and be like, is this the top 10? Is this the top 10? So what I've done, I've thought about it from the perspective of what are the most common top 10 tips that I find myself repeating over and over and over. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to delve and unpack those top 10 tips and hopefully you will get something out of it and those strategies that you can implement into your service straight away. And funny thing, I've got about five different books in the works that I'm writing at the moment because that's the next step for me. I'm going to write a book. And um, when I was working through these top 10 tips, I'm like, hmm, this will make a really good book. So at the end of this episode, if you would be keen to read a book that has, I don't know how many, 500 top tips that you could look through that would be like almost like your guide to early childhood and just some things that you could almost just tick off to implement in your service. If you'd be interested in reading a book like that, let me know because it would spur me on to get it done. Anyways, let's move along. So I wanted to do it in like, you know, the TV shows where they go like 10 and then they talk about that and then they go nine and then my number one top tip is, well, that's not how it's working today. It's where I'm just going to tell them they're in no particular order um, and we will see what happens. So, and I've, co- I've come up with different categories too. So, because I thought, look, I could do top 10 tips on programming, top 10 tips on supervision, top 10 tips on sustainability, top 10 tips. But instead of doing that, um, I've just got a variety of different areas from the service, just so that it makes sure that it meets um, everyone's requirements, whoever's listening. So, here we go. So, number 10. One of the most common issues that we have is in relation to supervision 
and particularly around supervision outdoors. So of course you should have your supervision plans in place in the outdoor environment, have regular conversations, regular training around supervision, what that looks like in your service, where educators should be placed, what is active supervision. So really looking in um, at what active supervision means and ensuring that you're engaging with the children but also clearly that you are looking up and you are continually scanning the environment so that you know where all children are, who they're accounted for. Do you have somebody that's sort of like a float or somebody that isn't engaging with the children that potentially their job might be to engage with the families or their job is just to continue to walk around and just scan the environment just to make sure that everyone is safe? And then if another educator gets up from their zone or from their place, then they can take over from them. The other issue that we have with that is multiple educators going inside at one time. And I've seen it. I've seen it in services. I've experienced it in services where you'll just look around and you'll be like, holy moly, am I like the only one outside? Because everyone's, once someone's gone to the toilet, someone's just quickly grabbing something inside, someone is helping in the bathroom, someone's doing nappies. You know what it's like at certain times of the day where there's so much happening. We generally have a rule in our service that only one person can be inside at one time. And a lot of service have this rule, but how do you make sure that that's possible? So my tip is, my first tip is to have an indoor park. So this is a pass on a lanyard and you might have a lanyard for each of your supervision areas as well. But there's one indoor pass and that indoor pass is given to one educator to go inside to do what they need to do. And really just have a think before you even go outside, really be proactive and think about what will I need outside? Like, do you have a little cart where you can put things in and all the the resources and have some time, maybe ask the children what you would like, what they would like to bring outside with them as well. So be really prepared. So prior preparation, you know the rest of that question. (laughs) All right. So that's tip number one. Tip number two is around sustainability. So there's so many different ways um, that we can incorporate sustainability into our services. And I'm going to focus on environmental sustainability. So remember in the new EYLF, there's three areas of sustainability, economical, social and environmental. So in our services, we are really familiar with environmental sustainability, um, but making sure that you're exploring the other two in your service is really also important. And it isn't just about looking at it through like as doing a one-off experience. It's a matter of looking at it through a sustainable lens when you're making decisions in your service. So going through that critical reflection around each big decision that you make in your service and incorporating that sustainable lens from all three areas of sustainability will really help you to make really valued decisions and contributions in your service. So that's not my tip. My tip is If you don't have timer taps in your bathroom, and what I mean by timer taps is the ones that you push in and they go off after a certain period of time, you just have traditional, you know, the turny taps that you turn on and turn off, have kitchen timers. So have timers in your bathroom. A lot of services get pulled up for them not washing hands for long enough. So we want to make sure that hands are getting washed for 20 seconds. Um, I know you all tell me out there that you sing happy birthday song, but 
how fast are they singing it? It really depends how fast it's getting sung to if it is actually um, accurately being sung for that 20 seconds. So in order that so that there is no dispute around time, have kitchen timer. Each time the children are there washing their hands, usually there's three or four basins. Um, put the timer on and then the children can actually count down. They can see the numbers. So it's like a pre-numeracy. They talk about the numbers. They're counting down. They're washing. And then rather than singing, you can actually talk about and show them your beautiful visual posters that you have up in your bathroom around how to wash their hands effectively. And I'm really passionate. Like one of my favorite podcast episodes is around making the most like meaningful transitions. And these are the times in the day that we really need to make the most of this. So washing hands is absolutely one of them. So that's two tips down. My, and oh yeah, I wrote here. No, that's fine. I've just got to, if you can imagine, I've just got a piece of paper in front of me or in my book and it's got writing everywhere. So there's so many things. All right, the next one, number three, is every day you do the playground or outdoor safety checklist just to make sure that the playground is safe before the children go outside. My tip is, do you involve the children in the safety checklist? So do you have a checklist like these little cute clipboards with laminated um, sheets on there with what the children can look out for to start to assess the safety themselves so that if something ever does happen in the environment, you are starting to involve them and have those conversations with them around what is safe and unsafe. And when we do these safety checklists, what we're actually looking for. So you can take three or four children with you and actually actually have them participate and involve them in the process of doing the safety checklist with you. They love it. And then what we found when we started to introduce this and when we started to do it was that it was um, allowing the children to start being involved in those conversations around assessing their own safety. So an example I can share with you was um, we had these balance beams and in our playground, we had everything was removable. There literally was not your, it literally was not your like, you know, MTA balance beam. It was literally like, you know, those garden sleepers from Bunnings, um, not the big ones, like the ones with the curve, like the half, half circle log. Yeah, the moon shaped sort of ones. And so the children, and then we'd have big logs and the children would be able to move. They would be able to build. They would be able to really transform the environment into what they wanted it to be. So they used to move them and make these um, crossings and pathways. And so on one of these where they placed the wood um, across from one log to the other, It was sort of on the side and then a child went to get up there and then the log fell off and another child had noticed that it was on the side and went over and said, oh, it's because it's not in the middle. It needs to go in the middle. So just be careful. And then the children moved it into the middle and they moved it away from the fence because they knew that it couldn't be too close to the fence. So even though we assessed and we can assess and should assess at all times, is it safe? Is it far enough away? Is it a climbing hazard? Like the children involving them into the discussion allows them to assess their own safety as well. 
And if you haven't already, look up, research the difference between a risk and a hazard, because I do believe that risky environments are so beneficial to children. And I'm a real fan of like Nikki Bukan, who talks about benefit risk assessments. So when children are taking risks and, or when children are going on excursions or doing bush kindy, beach kindy, looking at what benefits the children have from taking that risk and what they are learning. Um, not just what um, looking at worst case scenario and what risk will take place. All right, so now that's number three. Number four is around family feedback. So if you want to receive more family feedback, which is something that a lot of services find really tricky, is put it everywhere. So have a QR code if that works. Put it on your online system if that works. Um, what is working for services right now is is old school. Either having post-it notes that parents can just write on to give feedback or having the A3 art books there with a question that families can contribute to. Um, and it's working really well. However, no one wants to be the first to comment. So write in it, make sure my tip is to write in it first. So if you have educators that have parents, get them to write in it first. Um, even if you just write in it, it doesn't usually have names. So even if you write a few comments in there to get them started. So like, for example, I was at a service yesterday and um, they had a question up just around asking the families, like, what are you nervous about your child starting school? And one of the families had written that, so no one wrote, like honestly, no one wrote on this thing for a few days. And then when I went back to visit, I was like, oh, great, there's a comment. And one of the families had commented that they were really nervous about their child not eating at school for the whole day, that there weren't obviously opportunities. They just have a lunchbox. Who was really monitoring their eating? And so another parent wrote, she goes, oh, that's so, She, um, what did she write? She goes, oh, that's so... Um, that's so insightful. I'm nervous about that too. And you could see that just from one parent commenting, it then allowed other families to obviously follow suit and really keep your questions really specific and keep your questions in their language. So one an example we talk about all the time is um, around staffing arrangements. And we think, you know, why do we need to get family input and collab- have those meaningful collaborations around decision-making with staffing? But if you do want to get those exceeding themes, you do need to make sure that you have that in place for, qual- for all quality areas and elements. So in relation to staffing arrangements, you might like to ask a question, which you usually ask on Educator Day each year anyway, what do you love about our team? And just collect all of that information. What would you like to see in our next team member? Collect all of that information and use that in your hiring journey. But you have to document how you are using it. So it's not just enough to capture it. You need to document how you're using it in your practice and how it informs your practice. Beautiful. So that was number four. Number five. I should put sound effects, hey, like five. Anyway, so EYLF talks a lot about um, growth mindset. It talks a lot about obviously the new sustainability, the three areas. It talks a lot about cultural safety. It talks a lot about, um, you know, all the different elements, things that were in Indigenous perspectives and making sure that they're embedded in your service. I don't believe there's anything new. It is just up to date from where we're at right now. 
But one of the things that did blow my mind when I was reading through the documentation, and I'm really surprised how it, it was like, you know, literally like in cartoons where you see like the light bulb moment, it was a light bulb moment. And I was really surprised, like, oh my, why I'd never thought of it before, is goal setting with children. Or actually what was the light bulb moment was children documenting their own learning. So if you're in a three to five-year-old room, there is absolutely no reason that the children can't be documenting their own learning. And that would be a question for you to really critically reflect on how can we set the children up so they can document their own learning? So do they have access to cameras? Do they have access to iPads? Do they have access to like, I don't know, a journal or a memory portfolio where they can actually contribute to document their own learning? Um, Really cute. There's like these little selfie um, little pegs. And so there's this basket and there's all these little selfie pegs. So they get the little selfie peg and they might peg it on their work and say, um, I'd like to take a picture of this. And that's a really big indicator. So then you'll obviously, or they can just, I mean, it doesn't really work so well in early childhood. That's more of a school approach, but in early childhood, just allow them to be able to ask, can I take a photo of this? I'm really proud of this. Can I take a photo of this? But involving them in setting their own goals. So if you do a goal-focused documentation and planning cycle, how, how do you involve the children in setting their own goals? Do you talk to children about what goals are? Like how, what is a goal? What does it look like? What are you good at? What do you want to practice? What do you want to get better at? And you'll be really surprised with what they come up with. And um, I've seen some really beautiful ways that preschool rooms are doing that. So it's really, really awesome. Um, All right. So that was number one, two, three, four, five. All right. Number six. Now my I just say this a lot with everything. People ask me, oh, you know, do we have to do that? Do why are we doing this? But my whole thing is if there is no purpose, there is no point. So um, for example, I'll go into services and they'll have all of these amazing ideas and be doing all of these things, which are awesome. But one, maybe they're not fulfilled as well as they could be, they're just sort of halfway there with so many ideas or nothing is happening or there's too many things happening either one way or the other or something has happened and we'll say, okay, well, what was the purpose of that? Where did it come from? Um, How did that come about? Where was your critical reflection and how was that implemented in practice? So making sure that everyone is aware of what the purpose is If you, for example, if you're looking at learning environments or you're looking at the culture of your service, if you're looking at the big picture thinking and you're wanting to really involve people in that, create a vision board. So create a board where everyone comes in with all of their ideas. Um, In fact, I've had this conversation many, many times, um, even just over the last two weeks. Um, Jake and I, and I think I've talked about this before, but in our company, we have an ideas board. I'm an ideas person. Things come to me like boom, boom, boom all the time. So rather than him being like, oh my God, another idea, when we're obviously working through um, other projects and things that we've got going on, we, we use Trello. And in Trello, we've got an ideas board. So each time there's a new idea introduced, rather than us doing all of these 
really crazy, like not really crazy, but rather than us actually taking action on every idea and not doing them very well, we park ideas. So we park ideas on the ideas board. And sometimes when we go back, we go back once a month or once every two months to look at the ideas board. And sometimes I'll look at it and an idea that I was so excited about after I've built, um, come down a little bit with my emotion and being so excited about it I was like oh okay yeah that's probably not the best idea but it's still parked there we still leave it there and we can come back to it and look at all of these ideas and things we want to do so this is exactly like we've got a whole ideas board with all of these kits that we're building um, that we sell on our website to help you guys implement to DIY and help you guys implement all of these amazing things. So we've got our philosophy toolkit. We've got our roster toolkit. We've got, um, what other toolkits do we have? We've had heaps of interest for a critical reflection toolkit. So that's what we're working on next. But it's, you know, all of these things come from you with how we can help you, but they start as an idea. Um, and if you're looking for a great podcast, um, I, there's one on where do ideas come from? And yeah, I love that one too. All right. So that's number six. So the vision board, have an ideas board where you can park things and come back to them when you reflect with your team to make sure that it's the right timing and that you have everything in place. Once you pick an idea, we have a project planner that we use um, that we've designed so that we can map it out, who's in charge, what's happening, what resources, etc., to make sure that we are doing that effectively. All right. So that was number six. Number seven, Start with your QIP. So your QIP drives everything you do. And so many services are there and thinking, oh, too hard basket. I'll get to that one day. No, I haven't done it. Now is the most crucial time to ensure that your QIP or for New South Wales, your self-assessment is up to date at all times. So, and it shouldn't be an extra burden. It shouldn't be an extra thing. When it's done well, it should align and integrate multiple elements and align with everything that you are already doing in your service. We call them priorities. And it's like, what priorities are you focusing on? And not little tiny things like super, like we need to change our supervision plan. We need to do this. No, they're big things. They're big projects. They're big, um, you know, and document that journey like it's your story and make sure that you've got all of those exceeding themes within that documentation as well. So if you need help with that, let us know, but make sure that everything is your, your most important, actual most important document in your service is your philosophy. So start there. If you haven't reviewed that um, recently, make sure you review it, make sure that it paints a really true, clear picture of what you want to be, what you want to achieve, what you want your service to look like. This will help every single person go in the same direction. Then once you've got that in place and that is really stable, really secure, you've done heaps of workshops around that with your team in understanding it and it's very clear because we always say Brene Brown clear is kind. So making sure that you have that in place. Then once you have that in place, then your QIP is your next important document. Everything in your service should come back to your QIP. On your online platforms, you might want to create little tags or little flags um, so that they can, based on what your priorities are for your QIP, people can tag them and then make sure that you have a system. So whether it's once a month, once a 
bi-monthly, once every two months, you come back to it and you review it. So that's there. So that's number seven. Number eight is about your team. So the better that you know your team, the easier it is to lead them. And not only lead them, but also work alongside them. So if you're an educator in the service, it's also much easier when you know more about people, particularly when you start to see people as a person and you know, because we're all human, So when you see your coworker and when you see them and you know that everyone's human, you know that they've got a dog, you know that they've got a husband, you know that they've got children, this is their children's names. And but really like not the outside, not the in we talk about there's two layers, I believe. There's got to be some I don't know if there's some type of science, this is just what I say, but it's like even with the children's learning, it's not about the outside of a person. Like you can tell me all these things and but I want to know what's happening inside. I want to know what's happening in your heart. I want to know who you are. I want to know what drives you. I want to know um, everything about you, what motivates you, what drives you, what are you passionate about, what gets you out of bed in the morning, why do you do what you do? Because the more that you know someone's heart, the more that you know someone, the easier it is to communicate with them, the easier it is to give them feedback, the easier you start to develop that respect for each other. So you don't have to think, overthink how you're going to deliver something because they know that the only reason you would be delivering that feedback is so that they can improve their practice and be better. I think, I know I'm going off on a little tangent, I promise I'll I'll get back to it, but I believe that we have an obligation as leaders, not only to help people be amazing educators, but to be amazing humans, because we're not just work, we're work, we're life, and it's one, one human. When we help people to improve in their practice and to become more confident, more um, be able to communicate easily. Um, and we work on these things and these life skills. Not only are they becoming better educators in our service, they're also helping them in their whole life to be better human beings. So our life doesn't stop just with the children. When you become a leader, it becomes about the people that you lead. So if you start there and you lead them well and think about it from the perspective of the planning cycle that you would for children, but like the same cycle, but a leadership cycle, you'll be really successful and it really pays All people want is to be cared. They want to know that you care and caring comes back to listening, hearing and following through with your actions. But one of the best ways and one of my favorite ways to get to know people and people love to learn about themselves as well. So is to do different quizzes. So my favorite quiz, which I recommend all the time, it's called VIA, Character Strength Quiz. And the reason that this one's my favorite is because it's got 24 character strengths and you do the quiz. It's like, I don't know how many questions, like 50 questions. And um, what it does, it actually tells you them from one to 24. So it tells you your top and your bottom. So when you get your team to do the free quiz, they come back to the team meeting with their results. You give them three post-it notes. You put all the character strengths up on the wall. They write their name on their post-it notes and they stick it up with what their three top is and give them a different color for their bottom one. 
And I would like to see, particularly in bigger teams, are you covering all strengths? Do you have all character strengths in your team? Or are there any character strengths that don't have anyone where that's their top three? And potentially in your next hire, that's something that you need to look out for um, in your hiring process and your onboarding process. So that I really love that. It really makes a difference because not only does it allow you to see what their character strengths are in their top one, but it also allows other people to see that every single human is good at something and what is important to them. So for example, my top character strength is honesty. And then my last one, 24, which I'm really conscious about, and I actually really put a lot of effort into this, is appreciation of beauty and excellence. And so in my service, I had another educator who that was actually their top one. And so um, a little story. So we went out to reverse garbage. If you don't know what that is, that's like a a place in Sydney and you go and you collect all different loose parts, items, they have all random things and then you put them in a bag and then you just pay for the bag. Um, they have them everywhere. I can't. I was in obviously in Adelaide and they told me it was like rubbish something, so rubbish garage, rubbish something, any place you go just to collect all the little bits and pieces, corks and paint covers and they have random things. They have like mannequins and anything that people like donate there. It's really cool. So um, anyway, we went there. Then we went out for as a team to collect and top up things for our center. And then we came, uh, we had lunch. So we had lunch there and we're sitting around. I love food. And so the food and the drinks were all set on the table. I was ready to eat. I was so excited. It looked so delicious. And so this other educator that was part of my team, she said, hold on stop let's wait a minute let's just take in this moment it's oh look how amazing it is I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful that we could all come together how amazing is this and to this day I always remember that and it's like they call it in um I don't really know in what but it's called an anchor so because she stopped and took in that moment and of course our philosophy is every moment counts so be, but because she took in and stopped us in that moment to create that anchor and an anchor can be anything the anchor was her stopping and acknowledging it um an anchor can be music an anchor so like do you ever hear a song and it make reminds you of something or a smell a scent scents are really huge anchors so like when you smell things it takes you back and reminds you of a moment or a memory um so anyway she created this anchor so I have I I'll always remember that day good or bad I'll always remember that had she not done that I wouldn't have even, it wouldn't have even, it would have just been another day. I would never even have remembered that day. So um, it really shows that you can have, it's really important to have people that have opposite character strengths or character traits that is that are important to them because it can really highlight and benefit everyone in the team and lift them up. All right, so that's number eight. Number nine is have a budget. If you don't, I know it sounds really basic and dumb, but we go into services all the time, particularly like single provider services or owner operator services. And they're like, no, we don't have a budget. We just buy what we need. It's all good. But you need to be able to measure your numbers. 
And it's really important to know your numbers. In order to know your numbers, you need to be able to have a budget, a predictable budget that is going to allow you to know how much you've got to spend. It isn't about how much money you're making. It's about making sure that you're aware and have that accountability that you know how much you've got to spend on different things throughout the year. Now, the other part of the budget is I really encourage services when developing the budget to give each room their own budget for resources. So make sure in your budget that you account for professional development, resources, obviously purchasing, you've got your wages, accounts, everything like that. If you're wanting me to do a deep dive into your budget, I actually really love it and enjoy it. Let me know Um, or give you advice to how you can reduce budgets or what it should be. Let me know. Um, But yeah, give your rooms a budget. You're going to assign some money per year, whether you do it once a year before the end of financial year or whether you do it each month. But make sure that you assign, give each room a budget of what they can spend on resources each month and let them take ownership over what they want to buy for their rooms and their spaces. You can still get them to apply, like get them to put the list in and if it doesn't align with your philosophy or it doesn't align with what you think is a quality product, you can have a chat with them and just say, hey, look, I noticed that you put this item in there. Would it be okay if we just swap it out for this item instead? Or get them to even better get them to let you know why they want it and what they want it for so that there's a justification around why they want it and why they need it because there might be something else that you know of that might be better in that situation so give them a budget give them that ownership they love it and I remember reading I was reading through just on educator day like for all the what all the services were doing one of my favorites was that one service they got all of their educated car washed and detailed I was like I'd really love that but what was really interesting is that another educator put on there she said you know what I would actually prefer to just get money to spend on resources for my room there's still way too many and I'm not saying look I think it's it's something that has um what's that word um it's gone extinct, right? So when we were when we were raised in early childhood, all the way from being a trainee, all the way up, it was a really common thing for us to have our own collection of books. So we have educator books. I still have all my books and obviously keep collecting them over time. But it was really common for us to have our books and they were our own educator books. We put our name on it. We purchased it. It was our collection and we were so proud of our collection of books. And then what we would do if we ever left a centre, we'd take our collection of books with us and um, obviously, you know, take them with us. They were ours. They were our kit. It was like I don't even really know how to explain it. It's like if you're a dancer, you've got your dance gear, you've got your favorite shoes, your favorite outfits, your favorite, um, wa- I don't know, water bottle, whatever. But it's like as a teacher or as an educator, books are our thing and having our own collection of books that and our favorite books. Like it's a really beautiful question. Like what is your favorite book that you love reading to children? And sometimes now I think it's an expectation that services have all of these things and will buy all of these things, which you know what resources and things for the children that they think they should. 
We shouldn't be spending our own money on on things unless we want to. Um, but a collection of books is yours. That's something to be proud of, something to take with you from service to service, share with the children, whether you're focusing on something, because that also brings joy and passion. And that's your little toolkit that you have to share as well with the children. But yes, I think giving each room that budget to be able to buy whatever they are working on for their space, as long as, again, if there's no purpose, there's no point. So just as long as it's got that meaning and purpose behind it. All right. And then lucky last one, tip number 10. Oh gosh, I've got a few here. I don't know which one I should choose. Um, I'll do prioritize. Okay. So prioritize the three D's of prioritization. We've got heaps of time management podcasts. So go back and listen to them. If you want the whole thing and that's something that you're currently challenged with, go back and listen to those episodes on time management. But part of that is the three D's. So list out all of your tasks, even if you just do it each day, like your daily tasks, and then ask yourself, do I do it? Is it urgent and important? Do I do it? Can I delegate it? Can somebody else do it? Is this their area of expertise? Or three, can I just delete it? Is it not urgent? It's not important. It doesn't even matter. Why is it even on the list? Delete. So make sure that you do the three Ds cull. So do, delete, delegate. Um, And of course, make sure that you look at that and listen to our episode on delegation um, for that process as well. But it's really important to make sure that you are going through those to see, because if you're doing something that can just be deleted because you think that you want just want to do it and there's no purpose, delete it. Go back and do something that is urgent and important. Um, and then, yeah, make sure that if you when you do delegate that you do it properly. Um, my other bonus, I'm going to give one more bonus. Let me check which one. Um, oh, I don't know. There's so many. Anyway, recently, I'll give you the most recent one. So you have a team, right? And well, everyone has a team. And that's the beauty of early childhood that we love. And we have amazing people around us. It's so beautiful and amazing. But what's happening is that we see our team members and we have a really... Uh, bad, bad habit (laughs) of whinging. And because we get stuck in it, we get in our ruts, we get in our little groove and we just like whinge about these little things because sometimes we just like whinging. So what happens is that then we start asking, we see our team might be a little bit unhappy, something's not right, something doesn't feel right. First tip, if something doesn't feel right, address it straight away. If something's not right, address it straight away. You need to set clear expectations. But Instead of asking, generally what we'll do, we'll then ask our, ask our team so many questions. We'll say, what would make you happy at work? How can we support you at work? And you'll start to ask all of these questions of your team and you'll get no response or you'll get a response that's really, really basic about supervision. We need extra people. We don't have enough resources. Um, it happens and that's a feedback everywhere. So don't worry. But Instead of asking these questions, ask in the opposite way. So what do they call it? A double negative. So say what, ask your team what they don't want. So instead of saying what would help you to feel like you belong here, just say what would help you to feel like you don't belong here? 
Like if you came here and you knew I don't belong here, what would that look like? And and nut that out because you know in an interview how you're asked, what what are your strengths? What would you bring here? What are you really great at? And you're like, oh wow, I really struggle with that question. A lot of people struggle with that question. So instead of saying that, asking the double negative. So what they don't want, because then you can just flip it and say, okay, well now we've talked about what how you would won't feel like you belong here so let's flip it and it makes it so much easier to come up with strategies with how they do belong and what they can do to really feel like they can belong so that's it guys that's my 10 top tips um let me know if that was helpful um hopefully you've used it as a bit of a checklist and you're like yeah even if you got one idea i'm happy with that And that brings us to the end of another episode of Everything Early Childhood. So thanks so much for listening out there and taking a journey with us into the world of early learning for our top 10 tips that can hopefully make a difference to your lives in your service. So we hope that you found today's episode valuable and inspiring and that you're walking away with some new ideas and strategies to implement in your own practice. So remember to work on that the obviously it's crucial years in the first five years so what we do is truly truly amazing every single day I call you guys superhumans um, so continue to be that superhuman and that beautiful positive role model for all children out there now before we say goodbye we just want to remind you that our commitment to early childhood doesn't just stop here um, be sure to, to subscribe to our podcast and stay updated with latest episodes and expert insights we've got some really great guests coming up And of course, if you have any questions, comments or suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Um, On our website, we've got a Ask Us Anything button. So www.platinumed.com.au or you can reach out to us on our website or social media platforms. So if you've enjoyed today's episode and found it valuable, please consider leaving a review, sharing it with all your friends, colleagues, anyone in your life in early childhood. And together we continue to elevate the quality of care and education for our beautiful young future generations so thank you so much again for listening to and being a part of everything early childhood community we look forward to bringing you more enriching content in our upcoming episodes and until next time keep making every moment count thanks for listening to the everything early childhood podcast if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please share it with others post about it on social media or leave a rating and review we read them all. <laughs> to catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.